My name is Teresa Lefford. Um, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I've been homeless off and on since I was 18, and I'm 33. Hey, I'm Zach. Hey, I'm Anna. Welcome back to Small Data. Small Data. You'll have to excuse the sound in some of the following clips. These were all recorded Skype calls, so there will be occasional lags in the sound. In the last episode, we promised you a story about data being used to change the world. Homelessness is a national epidemic. Can it be eliminated with data? Can it be eliminated forever? Here's Adam. Community Solutions is a nonprofit organization that's committed toward a future without homelessness in which poverty never follows a family beyond a single generation. So on our work in Zero 2016, we do work specifically with 75 communities to help them end veteran homelessness this year and chronic homelessness next year. Adam is the communications manager for Zero 2016, and they have a pretty ambitious goal. So what crosses your mind when you're approached by a homeless person asking for money? I think the first thing that crosses my mind is the idea that I'm afraid of being lied to. Because if I'm approached by someone who I know for a fact is homeless and could use my help, I definitely give them what I could. But at any point, somebody that I don't know might approach me. And so I think in that moment, I have to make a judgment call. And I'm usually I'm not inclined to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. So I think it's kind of a moral dilemma that lots of people face. You want to give, but if you don't know where your money's going, you're more likely to turn around and walk away. So you don't think that giving money is going towards solving the problem? No, I don't. I think it's going to temporarily fixing it. But I think that a problem like homelessness requires a more organized, systematic approach. I also think that people are often afraid of homelessness. I know that I've been, and I think it's just a fear of being face-to-face with someone who might be dangerous or might have a mental illness, and people tend to sort of cower when they find themselves in that kind of a situation. If it doesn't really touch us personally, it's hard to put ourselves in the shoes of someone who is homeless and truly needs the help. Because if you look away and walk by real fast, then, then it's in the rearview mirror. Exactly. It doesn't touch you personally. So, you know, you don't have any personal connection to this person. So it's kind of leaves your memory. Homelessness is like you give off this kind of distinct odor, right? I I want to say odor, radar, something. It's like people can zero in and they look at you like, oh, you're just a nobody. You're just homeless. You ain't worth my time, my effort. You know, and that's not true because there's something you might be having a bad day and you see a homeless person and, you know, for a fact that they got a bit worse than you do. We were, I think, one of the first organizations to change our mission and be about ending homelessness for this community. This is Liz. She's the Associate Executive Director at Urban Ministries, an organization located in Charlotte, North Carolina, one of the 75 communities Zero 2016 is working with. And when that happened, it was almost comical to people to hear that language of ending homelessness, right? Like, oh, that's a mission statement, that's vision, that's not reality. But now that we have numbers and we can show our progress, 
people are starting to get on board, right? More people are saying, well, gosh, maybe we really could end this issue. We asked Adam and his colleague, Jessica, the data guru for Zero 2016, about how people who work in individual communities, like Liz, collect data to track their goals. The historic way of collecting data has been that on a given night, it's called the point in time count. It's a, it's a federal mandate, something that HUD requires all communities, all continuums of care to do. HUD is the Department of Housing and Urban Development. In which, on a single night in January, that community is responsible for going out and counting the number of people on their streets and in their shelters that are experiencing homelessness. A point-in-time count sounds like a step in the right direction, but as Jessica explains, a point-in-time count is just that, and there needs to be something better. By its very virtue, it does not capture everyone on a single night because you're not canvassing your entire community. You know, you might have a bunch of volunteers, you don't have enough to go into every single empty building, every single backwoods lot. And at the same time, there are folks who are becoming homeless throughout the course of the year after that night in January that you're not capturing in that number. Because we know there will always be people who will be coming homeless and cycle in and out of it. So we realize that that's, it's a good place to start. It's not sufficient. And we've really worked very closely with communities and are putting a lot of eggs into this basket to help folks develop what we call a by-name list. So they're going out. We're encouraging them to go out do constant outreach in their communities and actually sit down and talk to people, which unfortunately doesn't really happen on the night of the point in time count. You have a lot of volunteers going out and counting people, just noticing them sitting across the street, not even going up to them, asking their name. We believe in the value of actually knowing that that is Joe sitting on the corner and that's John sitting, you know, in a shelter, sitting down, talking to them, understanding what their history looks like any medical issues they might be dealing with. So you can start to begin to develop a list that's really actionable. Knowing that you have 450 people isn't actionable. You don't even know where to start when you have that big of a number. But knowing that that's John down the street and he is a veteran who has you know, a history of cancer and he needs X, Y, and Z resources allows you to actually begin to work through ending each individual person's homelessness rather than looking at it as an aggregate goal. So a by-name list, that sounds like a fantastic idea. I mean, I get that it's more dynamic than a point-in-time list, but it sounds so hard to produce. So we asked Liz to tell us about how she creates a by-name list for her community in Charlotte. So in terms of Zero 2016, one of the things they early on suggested we do is to, to create what they call a registry. A registry is another name for a by-name list. So if we're going to commit to ending chronic homelessness, then we really need to know who are the people experiencing chronic homelessness. So they gave us training and helped us organize a major effort in January of this year to go out in the community. And we spent three days and starting at 5 a.m., we went out looking to identify all the folks who are chronically homeless. And when we met them, we would use this tool called the VI Spadat that helped us measure their vulnerability. And our community has made the commitment to say the most vulnerable people should get housing first. So once you have a registry, you're able to, you know, take that registry and sort it and say, okay, who are the top 20 most vulnerable people? Those should be the next 20 people that get housing. And we start working from the list from there. Urban Ministries does a homeless survey every year. And um, I was asked to come in. And to do one because I have been homeless for a long for 
more than two years. Um, I've been in domestic violence. I have, um, I'm ADHD. Um, I've had some other health issues. I qualified for getting hooked up with one of their housing sites. I'm going to be honest with you, Urban Ministries helped me more than anybody around here has ever helped me. I mean, they're, you've got some great people, and a lot of them, I can count on probably both of my hands how many of them that I know personally, on a personal level, as in meaning they're friends, then I can actually call them my friends of who I can say, hey, this is what's going on. I've had a lot of people go up for bat for me to get me into housing and to get me back on the right path. Because here's the thing. When I didn't believe in myself and when I was capable of doing, they did. And I'm going to cry. So It's really difficult to end a person's homelessness if you don't know who they are and what problems they face, right? And traditionally, the way that we've addressed it as a, as a, a country has been that we don't have that information. And, and oftentimes, people would receive help when they came in you know, to a, a provider or a shelter or somewhere and actually made an effort to find that help. But oftentimes, those people, the ones that are seeking out help, are not the ones that are the most vulnerable and that need that help the most. You know what strikes me is that you know, a lot of people think uh, when they talk about data-driven approaches to things that it almost sounds like a less human approach, right? Because you're just data in a database and everything's a number. But to hear you guys talk about it, you're using more data, but you're also advocating a more human approach to talk to people. So that sort of goes against, I think, what most people would think about when they hear maybe data science is being used to solve homelessness. Yeah, we really do believe that the true power lies in the combination of those two things. Um, one by itself isn't going to solve the problem, but together using data in a really actionable person-specific format is, is kind of the holy grail. We're focusing on building rapport, and then we're also spending energy on trying to get new housing resources. So a lot of the work I do is say, okay, we now have this list. We know precisely what our need is. Now we need to go out and create more housing so we can house everybody on this list. I'm working less directly with people and always working more on the system. But I absolutely feel like we're making more progress than we've ever made before. And part of that is because we're constantly measuring our progress. So before, you know, the celebrations were mainly about Mr. Burnett got housed and Mr. Powers got housed. And now I still celebrate when people get housed, but we're constantly looking at our numbers as well. So we're really getting to track as we make progress on ending it. Oh, wait, I could definitely take you back to that day that I uh, found out I was going to get my four walls, my apartment. I will never forget it. Okay, I have to go back a little farther. Uh, because of my criminal record, I they wanted to go through private um, private owners to get me 
a place. So I was feeling real discouraged. I was talking. I had even told the lady who called my um, social worker for Shelter Plus, basically. And they originally weren't going to really take me, but she went to bat for me. Well, I'm sitting around the dinner table because I'm sitting at my little table underneath my canopy. Me and my friend, my boyfriend, and we were talking. Then, Teresa received a text message. You've been approved. I start screaming. I scream. Um, everybody who was around me at the campsite was like, what is wrong? Is something mauling you? I'm in. I got the place. I, I'm approved. If we look uh, at our point in time counts now uh, versus five years ago, we've seen a 33% decrease in veteran homelessness and a 21% decrease in chronic homelessness nationwide. But that plays into a larger idea within Community Solutions that is this idea of creating systematic change to bring an end to homelessness and, and poverty. Making sure that you know cross-generational poverty is not something that our children and our grandchildren will know. Something that when we have, you know, when our kids grow up, they won't know what chronic homelessness was because we will have eliminated it. Is that something that you can actually measure to like know that it's a one generational stop? It's something that, that no one has really attempted to measure or quantify it, at least from our perspective. And so we're kind of approaching new territory. There is a systematic failure that has led us to where we are today. Let's identify that failure and figure out how we fix it. We know that the data works. You don't want to be managing homelessness forever. And so the only way to be able to measure what you're doing and whether or not it's successful is to use data. So if you look, for example, if you look at the national numbers, you've seen kind of the steady decline in homelessness since the recession. So what's happening that even in the midst of this recession, we were able to decrease homelessness as a country? Well, you can pr pretty clearly look and see what's happening, what's been different. What the difference is that we discovered the solution to homelessness, and that solution is housing with appropriate supports. I really want to become a motivational speaker dealing with girls who have been dealing with I have a very, very strong past. I was born at an incest. I went through a lot. My mama committed suicide. Um I just went through a lot of stuff. I've been in domestic violence situations. I wanna be able to talk to my peers about, you know, it's not always good to be rebellious. Don't talk to your parents any type of way, you know. I want to be able to help people. I want to be able to help people like they've been able to help me. I want to give back to society to show them that, hey, even though I am an ex-felon, you know, I did my time, I've paid my price, I've been on the streets, and I'm surviving. I'm, I'm better than what I used to be. I'm learning to live.
I mean, if you look at the history of America, there was a time when homelessness didn't exist. I mean, you go back to the 60s, and we did not have the epidemic of homelessness that we have now. I mean, it's a fairly new social phenomenon. Um, so we create, like, it's about the same age as I am. I'm 37 years old. I feel like we created it in my lifetime. Absolutely, we can end it in our lifetime. Next time on Small Data, we're switching gears a bit and talking about Tinder. And that's all I'm going to say about that for now. Thanks for listening.